Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Books, Bites, Boost, the podcast. If you're new here, I'm Madison. Hey, I'm Alexis. And on this episode, we are going to dive into our discussion on The Night Swim and also on part two. So not this episode, but the next episode, we will have an interview with the author, Megan Golden. So definitely tune in for that. We're so excited. I cannot wait. I am just so excited to meet her, pick her brain, learn about the book and everything. Me too. I'm loving, loving The Night Swim right now. So it's so good. I'm reading it so quickly. Like I'm having to pace myself. (laughs) I know. I know. Me too. But what have you been up to lately? Oh my goodness. Working. Um, The tornadoes were last week. Okay. Uh Did you guys get anything up in Huntsville for that? No, we didn't. I know that um, Birmingham got it bad. So it it was so scary. Did it like affect you guys at all? Yeah, we were actually, it was me and Bethany, my roommate, we're sitting here and just talking about random stuff. Like it was a little rainy outside, but just like sprinkling. And then our phones started having the alarm and it was like, take shelter immediately, tornado emergency. And we were like, what? And we looked outside and like 30 seconds later, the rain just started going super fast. We called Kyle, one of our really good friends down the road because he lives in an apartment. And so he came over super fast and we got the blankets, the pillows in the bathtub. And we just like, barricaded for a while our house didn't get affected but yeah one of our really good friends emily she lives about 15 minutes away 20 minutes away and her house the roof came completely off of it and like my high school the neighborhood that's right next to it all those houses got destroyed i mean it's it was crazy it was scary yeah i know one touched down in like raglan which is almost where like i'm from or something so, yeah, that's really scary. We didn't get that much. I mean, it was just like wind and rain and dark and cloudy and bad weather, but it wasn't, we didn't have any tornadoes. So that's definitely scary. Yeah, I'm just so glad that, you know, nothing happened here. And I'm sorry for anybody who, you know, had their house destroyed. Like, that's just scary. I, as far as I know, there were only a couple of deaths. Thank God. Like, we got all the sirens and the warning and everything. So pretty much everyone I knew took shelter, but that was crazy. I think the last time we had tornadoes was that like crazy. at least 10 years ago, I think. Yeah. That is like crazy. That. So for sure. But other than that, just the regular school doing the homework, reading the books for the podcast, taking care of my crazy. Yes. What about you? Yeah. Well, we move into our new house on Monday. We love it. Oh my gosh. So so Monday, April 5th. April 5th, we move in. Yeah, so we're super excited. Um, Other than that, just working, packing a little bit, getting a game plan together. Yeah. Did you sell sell your furniture from your old house or are you moving that into the new house? So you're getting this. No, I sold most of it, the majority of it. But we bought a brand new couch that is like beautiful. It's exactly what I wanted. Yay. And so, yeah, we're working on getting the essentials and we're excited. It'll be fun. So, what are you drinking, Alexis? I just went for the classic screwdriver. I have some vodka, got some orange juice, and I went a little crazy and threw a splash of cranberry juice in there just to get a little. <laughs> Yes. I've got a splash of cranberry and everything, I swear. It makes it so much better. 
I just love cranberry juice. Some people don't like it and they think it's bitter, but I love it. Yeah. Well, the thing I like about drinks like that is it's like mimosas. You can just put however much alcohol you like and then the mixer. Like yeah. you don't have, it's not like a specific recipe. You can just do your taste. Well, I am drinking a peached well. So not beached, but peached like Georgia peaches. Tell us what's and in it. It is half an ounce of amaretto, Bacardi rum, or white rum. I didn't use Bacardi because I didn't have it, but I just used another white rum. Um, half an ounce of Malibu and half an ounce of peach schnapps. And you're supposed to have grapefruit juice with it. But I didn't have grapefruit juice. So I did lemonade and like two splashes of cherry moonshine. Oh, look at you being <laughs> a little mixologist over here. <laughs> but it calls for grapefruit juice. So if you don't have an outlet to moonshine, I guess. <laughs> I feel like whatever. you have you've done all the fruity drinks so far which one's been your favorite I really like the sex on the beach that I made classic yum yeah but this one's really good and I'm not I mean if you're a peach fan you'll definitely like this one it's pretty good and it's I mean you know it's more ingredients than I usually do usually I'm like a three ingredient and done yes, <laughs> but I feel like it's, it's, such it. a- it's really pretty I feel like peaches are such a Southern thing. Like I will eat anything peach in it, like peach cobbler, like peach ice cream, like all the sweets yeah. with peach in it. I'll just eat peaches, Literally. just the peach. I know. I know. Yeah, I think it is too. Georgia peaches are the best. Oh my goodness, yes. And the one, like the little peach farm that's down off, like if you drive down to the beach, that little peach farm that you can go out to. Yes. Mm-hmm. I used to go there as a kid. That was so much fun. So, to kick off our discussion on the night swim, um, so I'm really loving it. I mean, I'm obsessed with it. Like, this is such a good book. She, Megan, meaning she, um, Megan, the author, is absolutely amazing. I think that the character development is amazing. I'm loving the action. I'm loving the flashbacks. I mean, it's just great. Yeah. So we stopped um, about chapter 22. It's right before the trial starts. So yes. we didn't really want to read any further. I don't. I think it might be a little less than the halfway point of what we're going to talk about in this episode. But yeah. we didn't want to start the trial and not be able to get all the way into it. So that's where we're going to leave off. So to start, I'm going to kind of introduce you to the characters and um, kind of set the stage for the discussion. The book is based around a true crime podcast um, with the host is Rachel Crawl. The name of the podcast is Guilty or Not Guilty. Well, actually, she does one season about a specific case, and then the next season is about a different case. And so this case that she's covering now is about a rape trial. It takes place in the small town of Neapolis, which I kind of think of as like kind of like the Outer Banks of North Carolina is what it makes me think of. It's like a sea town, very small town, um, but very quickly up and coming. 
Yeah, everybody's yeah. moving there. They want to live there. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it used to be a lot of locals and just families in a really small southern town. And now all of a sudden it's been opened up to tourists. So they're starting to see a lot of, you know, tourists come in and out. So then our other main character that um, we get to see from her point of view as well is Hannah. Uh, She was nine years old when her 16-year-old sister Jenny died. So that is kind of how she gets introduced in is about her sister's death. And she is trying to get Rachel to cover that case on her podcast so that they can finally get justice for Jenny. Yes, which it took me a second to kind of understand the structure of the two cases going on. So Rachel has come to Neopolis to cover a rape trial that is happening in Neopolis. On the other side, we have Hannah and Hannah is from Neopolis and she wants Rachel to look into her sister's death because Rachel's already going to be in Neopolis. So we kind of have these two cases going on. We have the rape trial and then we have the murder, uh, the murder case that Rachel's kind of starting to get pieces of. Right. So Hannah has reached out to Rachel several times through her website to try to get Rachel to cover the podcast. And she got denied every single time she sent an interview. So now she has, she knows that Rachel crawl is going to be in Neopolis covering the rape trial for, of Scott Blair. And um, she actually starts following her and leaving notes on her windshield to get her attention better. Which it does. Which it <laughs> I does. mean, who yeah. would not be freaked out if you were in the middle of not nowhere, but the completely different area from where you live. And then someone recognizes you and leaves you an envelope on your windshield. Like that's freaky. So once she arrives in Neopolis, she kind of checks into her t- hotel and starts walking through the town to kind of get a feel for the community and um, just kind of like get a feel for everybody. What's the vibe? What are people saying about the trial that's about to take place? And um, it's not just any trial. This is the son. Um, His name is Scott Blair, and he is a very known, um, very successful swimmer. (laughs) Has over 100,000 followers on Instagram. Right. So very popular, very well known, especially in his little town. And um, they're also the wealthiest family in the town. So like that not only is he popular, but they have money. So like they're very influential, very involved. Yeah. So basically what she starts to see is that the community is kind of split. Some people don't believe the victim at all and um, believe that, you know, Scott is completely innocent, that she did consent. And other people say, no, that he's an asshole and he's a jerk and he 100% should be dealt with accordingly. Yeah, her first day in Neapolis, I think she's at a grocery store and the people at the cash register behind her get into an argument, like a heated debate, and they're asked to leave the store by the manager because they're arguing about whether the victim, Kay, who she's called, or whether she is telling the truth or whether the rapist accused, who is Scott, or Scott, yes, is telling the truth or not so it's kind of just he said versus she said the classic case and they've just it's split the town right so not only do we see from rachel's point of view and hannah's 
we also get to read basically her podcast episode. So how she is kind of doing the episodes is instead of covering, you know, a cold case that happened years ago that there's tons of evidence on, she's actually covering a trial that is taking place at that moment. So that her listeners are almost kind of like the jury is what she says. They're in the jury box. They get to, you know, kind of decide what they think actually happened based on what she's hearing while she's there at the trial. Yeah. And she kind of says at the beginning, she's under a lot of pressure for this season because her first two seasons of Guilty or Not Guilty were so popular that this whole Um, I guess, template of a true crime podcast just took off and like all these mimic podcasts started up. And so not only is she super famous now, so there's that pressure to keep going and keep the momentum, but she also is now having to compete with these other podcasts. So she wanted to switch it up from just covering cold cases to doing a live trial. So Hannah's notes kind of start off just by her saying who she is, saying, you know, what happened to her sister, and just kind of explaining who her sister was. Um, She was nine years old. Her sister was 16, Jenny. And I have to chew this. Hold on. <laughs> is it another moonshine berry or whatever it is? <laughs> no. I don't know what in my mouth. Right now, but I, I love it. Um, I think you should just keep this in. Everyone, Madison is chewing moonshine-soaked berries that is in her drink. <laughs> A moonshine-soaked cherry that is in my cocktail. And I love but, it. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> We're talking about serious shit here, okay? Anyway, um, she explains Jenny. She was 16, um, and Hannah was nine at the time. As uh, Jenny being very beautiful, she had blonde hair, very pretty, liked a lot of, you know, she liked attention. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how her letters start out is just introducing Rachel into who her sister was and why that she should care and why she should actually take a second while she's in town and look at this other case. And Rachel actually does. Um, you know, in each letter, she'll, Hannah will kind of give Rachel another place to go to, look at this place, go to this place. And each time she goes to those places, there's a new note leading her somewhere else, but she can't figure out, you know, she keeps saying, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't, you know, I'm here to study the rape trial. I don't know even why I'm giving this a second thought, but she actually is. Yeah, it's. Simple case, curiosity killed the cat. She just feels kind of guilty that her Hannah's request for Rachel to look at her case kept being denied. And then now that she's here, she's really curious. Like, what is this case that we didn't take? And why is she asking me to take this case when Hannah was nine at the time? And now she's, it's what, 25 years later? So why is this happening now? Why does she want me to keep looking into this? Yeah. So we do find out through Hannah's letters that she was actually there on the day of um, the crime that happened, but she doesn't tell us, you know, exactly what happened until a little later on. And um, through the podcast episodes that we get to read into 
she actually walks us through the rape trial, the Scott Blair trial that she's covering. And so it's almost like we're listening to the podcast, but you know, you're reading it, but she's walking through all these places. She's walking through the place where it happened. Um, She's retracing the steps of the testimony that, or, or the evidence that they have from the rape trial before the trial actually starts. Right. Which reading it firsthand, like she tells it like it's a story. She tells it like you're there. And the night that Kay went missing, like she slowly starts giving you pieces of she walked home through an empty field by herself. She walked to a party. Her best friend kicked her out of the party. She then walked home by herself. You're learning all these pieces as Rachel's releasing them on the podcast. And honestly, the more that were told from Rachel, the more angry I get about the position that the victim was put in. Like it really started to bother me. Like she got kicked out by her best friend and was just stranded alone, drunk on the side of the road. You know, like it, it really. Right. That was a lot of, a lot of things that could have been done differently Mm -hmm. throughout the whole situation that occurred. Um, But yeah, so we learned that we learned that, you know, she, cut through this um, kind of remote pathway that was a shortcut to her best friend's house on her way home. She took that same pathway and it was just really dark. She heard footsteps coming up behind her and it was just a friend. And then um, after the friend left, Scott Blair showed up. He describes it as they went out for pizza or Yeah, I think it was out for pizza. And then they went to like a secluded area of the beach. But as far as Kay knows, she said, you know, I want you to take me home. And he was like, oh, we'll stop for pizza first. So they go. And then she was like, okay, now take me home. And he goes, no, we're going to stop at the beach. And she didn't want to, but he did. And then he raped her at the beach. Right. Yeah. That is kind of what's leading up to the trial. It's just her kind of covering the whole area, canvassing the area, um, talking to people, getting kind of a feel of what everybody in the community is thinking and Mm -hmm. how are they reacting to this trial that's about to occur in their, you know, seamlessly quaint little serene town. And, you know, I think, there's a lot of ugly secrets in that town that nobody wants to address. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The One of the conversations that really bothered me was when she went to Scott's dad and had an interview with Scott's dad because it was just the conversation started out and he's just misogynistic and blaming it all on Kay, saying that Kay had it coming that not necessarily she had it coming, but she, he said that she was consensual and you can't just change your mind afterwards and saying that she was drunk and pretty much putting it all on her. And then he was talking about his son and how he was just trying to get some pussy. And then he realized what he was saying and then he had to stop himself. But Rachel wasn't taking any bullshit. She called him out. She was just like, no, you were going to say pussy, weren't you? Like, I heard it. I heard what you were saying. And he was just like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But it kind of just reveals that the dad has this kind of misogynistic attitude and is just 
making like his whole defense is just put down the victim right and make like look crazy. the apple doesn't fall far from the tree basically and i'm an avid true crime podcast listener i listen to it every single day while i'm at work all day while i'm at work all the time and mm-hmm. i'm super i mean i follow true crime cases all the time and this really reminded me of the susan powell case alexis i don't know if you're very familiar with it mm-hmm. but basically it was a utah woman that went missing and um her husband a couple weeks later i mean a a couple years later committed suicide with and also killed their two children along with it but um you see his father is like almost the same if not worse than the putrid that he was and so I think that's very very important is you never know how much the family has a say in what's going on or how much a family knows because to Mm -hmm. him that's his son you know he's gonna back him no matter what and that just makes him him just as much yeah and I think in a small town you know like it has so much more effect. Like you can't see the big picture necessarily as much, which I'm not saying that everyone in a small town doesn't know anything. That's not at all. Like we're from Alabama. We just, there's small towns everywhere. It's just the, the, the small town aspect can sometimes make it so hard to go against your family, you know, cause you just, you want to stay loyal. And so I think that it just, it reminded me of people that I've met in my day to day life of that whole mentality of like, it's the woman's fault. It was her fault she asked for it, you know, like it can be anything from she was wearing something promiscuous. So she was asking for it. Now in the case of Mr. Blair, he was just saying it was consensual and she can't take it back, but he's claiming that she was raped. It's not necessarily something like that. Yeah. And like, I think it's very important that, you know, like they say, it starts at home. I truly believe that. I truly believe that you know, your children are a represent, representation of you in some way. And so I I think that he played a really big part in, you know, who his son was. And instead of pointing him in the right direction or, you know, making him, holding him accountable for what he did and his actions, he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, he victim blames, which we see all the time. Yep. And... I think Scott is 18 right now, 18. Yeah, so he had just gotten out of the house, had just gone to college, I think. Or was he graduating? I can't remember exactly how old he was. I think he had just graduated high school and was going yeah. to college. Right. Yeah. And he was like an, yeah, a very good swimmer. Yeah. Because he was on the track to become an Olympian. And then right. um, as Rachel keeps talking to him, it kind of switches. It does. Because the more that Mr. Blair keeps talking the more Rachel feels like that she says it, it's like a strange sense of sympathy for him because Scott's entire life was ruined. And if he was innocent, it was ruined. Like he had lost all of his scholarships. He had lost his spot on the nationals team. He was not going to be an Olympian probably ever. Now he was banned from training. He didn't have any of the resources. So she kind of saw that side where the dad was coming from but she still was just like this feels weird like someone has claimed rape and it's not just something right. lighthearted. which you know i i know pretty well that um 
not every claim that gets made is truthful. Okay. Like we can just say that, right? Like we're not saying that at all, that every single claim that is made is truthful to some extent. I mean, there are some, you know, people that have ulterior motives behind what they say. But, um, so I think that, you know, yeah, you're right. That is a very important part for many people who are, you know, accused, but maybe they aren't made a person of interest or a suspect or something, but so many people think that that's what they did basically in an instant. Yeah. I mean, that, that would change his whole life. And I could kind of see, you know, a little bit of that too, that she kind of mentioned. Yeah, which we at this point in time in the book, we don't know who who's right. Like we don't know right, who's right. telling yeah, the truth. So yeah. we're completely right. playing off of what could happen. Like right now, with the evidence we're given, I think he raped her. Like that's what it seems like. Right. Yeah. Um, and then on the ulterior side, like if it turns up he didn't rape her, then the dad's right. Like his his life is completely different. Yeah. Right. Oh, I guess we'll just have to see and keep reading. So, um, Hannah's sister, Jenny's case, it's pretty surprising when Rachel realizes that not that many people in the community are familiar with Jenny's case at all. Mm -hmm. Or if they are familiar with it, then they kind of have the details twisted on, you know, what actually happened. And a lot of people that she talked to and asked about it would just say, oh, she just drowned in, you know, the water. She just fell in and drowned or hit her head and drowned. And not a lot of people actually knew what happened. And that was because um, a truck of teenage boys got into a wreck. Was it the same night? Yeah, I think it was the same night. The same night and two of them got killed. Yeah, so I think that took a lot of spotlight away from Jenny because it was, I think, pretty well-known high school boys around the community. Yeah, and same cases, um, Scott Blair, they were, the boys were from influential families. Um, I believe it was actually, I'm going to look up the exact family because it does say in here, but it, they were influential families and the media wanted to cover them in the boy's death instead of the death of Jenny, who was not, she was not influential. She was poor. She lived in a bad area of town and she just wasn't as well known as the boys. Oh, here it is. Okay. Yeah. It was Russ Moore, the police chief, who is Kay's grandfather, I want to say. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So So the the cases now have somewhat of a connection because now Rachel has gone to talk to Kay's father and um, the father of the father, the grandfather, is now the police chief who was involved in that wreck. And so there's kind of a connection there. So she's even more curious. So she decides to dive further down into that case of Jenny's death. Yeah. And another reason that people don't know about it is because the only person who has information on it was Hannah. And she's the only person who could have said that it was a murder, but she was nine years old at the time. She wasn't mentally equipped to tell the police what happened or tell anyone what happened because she was traumatized and she was a child and she had just seen her sister die. So 
she just was not in a place to tell. And she carried a lot of guilt from that for a while. And now she's kind of reaching out to Rachel to be like, I'm ready. Like, let's give my sister justice. Yeah. And I think it was in an important part that you mentioned about how they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't come from a lot, Hannah and Jenny. Uh, their mom worked all the time and, you know, they lived in um, outside of town pretty much and not a great area. The house that they lived in was very small and had a lot of issues with it. I think that is important to mention because Jenny was basically Hannah's caretaker for a while. They did everything together while their mom was working. So Hannah, you know, describes a little bit in the book what she felt when that happened to Jenny. And I think it was really, really hard on her to kind of deal with Jenny's death. And then not long after that, her mom actually passes away from cancer. Mm. So um, I feel for Hannah a lot in this book. I think she's going to any extremes possible to get some kind of justice for her sister. I know a lot of people, I saw a lot, you know, of things about her communicating through like letters and notes. And I just think it was her last option, her last chance and her best shot to get somebody to actually take consideration into her family and take a little bit of the spotlight off of these boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that Hannah's mom passing away right after Jenny just furthered her silence, you know, right after that, she got put into foster care and she wasn't in Neapolis anymore. Like she wasn't in her town where everyone was talking about her sister's death. And after that, it was ruled a suicide or not suicide, but it was an accidental death. Like she fell to her death is what everyone was saying. She was just swimming, hit her head on a bunch of rocks and died tragically. And so when Hannah left, it was put into foster care and never said anything, just went away and it was ruled accidental. Right. Until she was old enough. You know, I think she had to go through a lot of, too, like the healing process and all of that in order to get to the point where she wanted to come forward and talk about what happened on that day. So our discussion this time is a little shorter than normal, but we just don't want to go too much into the trial. That is the majority of kind of what the novel stems around. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're just going to kind of keep this discussion as almost an introduction and kind of setting the stage for what's to come. And then part two, we'll cover the whole trial and the ending. And then um, we'll have an exclusive interview with Megan Golden as well. So definitely stay tuned for part two. Yes. And now we're going to give you guys some recipes. Books, bites, booze. I'm so excited. And I'm starving. So this is only going to make me hungry. I know. I've got my Chipotle sitting here waiting for me to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you go. What recipe do you have? Okay, so I was going to give you guys like a homemade recipe. And then I tried a new restaurant this week. I went to Post Office Pies, which if you have one in your area, you need to go. It is it was so good. I've always heard good things about it. It's a pizza place that cook all their pizzas in the wood oven. And me and my boyfriend, Tim went and we got the Buffalo chicken pizza and we split it and it was incredible. It was so I love good. Buffalo chicken pizza. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it had like 
the homemade dough, you know, and it was just thin enough. It wasn't like a thin crust, but it was just thin enough, but just thick enough. Oh, it's perfect. It had the caramelized onions. It had the mozzarella cheese. It had the buffalo sauce. And I love the way they did it because it was like the bread. And then they put the buffalo sauce, the onions and the chicken. And then they put the cheese over it to like trap it in. Oh, right. it was so good. It was so Yum. good. We also got amazing. the garlic bread, which was so good. It was like garlic cheesy bread, which is always delicious, but they cook always. it the same way. So it's on that same dough with the cheese and the garlic and it, yeah. the sauce. Mm, it was so good. We'll post a picture yeah. because I did take a picture of it because it was amazing. Yes. Yeah. Go check out the inter- Instagram Yum. for that. All right, Madison, what did you eat? I'm actually giving you guys a dip recipe. So this recipe we make every year at Christmas. And it's kind of like a white rotel dip. But we call it cowboy crack dip. Cowboy crack dip. And I'm not really sure why we call it that. But that's what we call it. So that's the recipe I'm giving you. But it is like my favorite. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It's ba- I mean, it basically is a white rotel dip. But so um, you take one pound of hot pork sausage, brown and drained. You can also do hamburger meat or, you know, whatever kind of meat that you want to put in there. Or no meat. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you want to do. And we usually, you can make this where you just kind of heat it up like you do rotel dip. But we put it in the crock pot on low. So that it just kind of stays heated up throughout the day. But one pound of hot pork sausage, um, two packages of cream cheese, two cans of Rotel tomatoes undrained. So do not drain them. And then two cups of mozzarella cheese. And it is the cheesiest dip that I have ever had. It's uh, like when you dip your chip, the string of cheese. Stop it. Yum. But it's really good for, like, gatherings, parties, anything like that, like, get-togethers. It's really easy, and I love it. I mean, it's, like, the best dip ever. And if you don't like hot, then go, like, mild or regular sausage. You don't have to do the hot sausage. I may make that next week because we're hosting a Godzilla versus Kong viewing party. I don't know if you know that came out. So good. Yes, so we're going to make that for everybody. And I usually eat it with like scoops, the Frito scoop. Oh, yeah, the best. Or whatever your favorite chips are to eat it with. But that's what I eat mine with. Um, Madison, why don't you tell us where people can find these recipes? Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) uh, we actually launched a website, guys. What? (laughs) We've kind of been keeping it a secret. Um, So... Actually, now you can go to booksbitesbooze.com. There we have our cocktail recipes, dinner recipes, our book recommendations and reviews. Um, We have our bios on there, our Instagram. You can find literally everything that we talk about on here on our website. So we're still working on getting a few blogs up. So if we're missing a recipe or two, don't worry. They will be on there soon. But uh, you can subscribe to our website and our newsletter there as well. So you get email updates when we have a new episode or post a new blog or have a new recipe or anything like that. Also, you have to follow us on Instagram and that's at Books Bites Booze as well. Join the family. Um, but yes, join the family. You get with it. Seriously. Join us. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, I feel like a real can... podcaster. 
I know. I love it. We, I've been wanting a blog for a long time. It just took us a little longer to get there, but we're there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely subscribe on there so you get emails from us. Check out our blog. Subscribe and leave a review to the podcast, please. Pretty please. And if you have any questions or you want a referral code for books by, I mean, for book of the month, then email us. It's booksbytesbooze at gmail.com. We'll send you a referral code. And I think you actually get your first book for like $5 now and we get a book for free. So it yes. works. Which also, if anyone doesn't have book of the month, this, uh, the Night Swim is from last year's book of the month. So it actually is out. So you can get it on Amazon or anywhere that it's available. It also yeah. is on Megan Golden's website. If you're looking for a place to buy it, you can go on her website and she has listed out where you can get the book. So you don't have to wait for it to come to shelves or anything. It is out. It is ready. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank and you. Um, we will see you in the next episode for part two with so the excited. interview with Megan. So excited. All right. Bye.